play through a few verses there and get out. Shake hands tonight. Make sure you get everyone's hand tonight. Let's remain standing for a word of prayer. Good to have all of you with us tonight. And, and let's remember all the activities going on, the Awana, the youth, and all the things that we have tonight. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to bless them. And let's ask Him to open our hearts up to all the good things He has for us tonight. David Knight, lead us in prayer, if you would, please. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Page 320, Trust and Obey. 320. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do 
second now. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sign nor a tear can abide while we trust and A set of ushers come forward to receive our offering, and as they do so, let me once again remind you, as I do every Wednesday night, what we give for on Wednesday night, the purpose of our giving, and that is in support of the Fall Bible Conference. And uh, I've told you before, we have raised so much money each year in the fall to take care of rooms, and this is to help maybe eliminate having to raise so much money. So everything you give on Wednesday night goes toward the cost of the Bible Conference in the fall. And that is always a large, very expensive thing, but it's worth every penny we put into it. And so you give tonight, and the Lord will bless you for it. Father, we do thank you now for the joy of being able to give, and we thank you, Lord, for the causes that we have in your work to give. And we realize tonight, Lord, as we give, we are giving to you, but we also give to take care of the things that we try to do for you. So I pray you bless the offering tonight, and Lord, teach us all to love you through our giving and teach us to give as if we loved you and measure of our love. So bless the offering and this service in Jesus' name. Amen.
I know this is a busy time of year for everybody, and yet what a wonderful and joyous time because of Christ's birth and his love and his devotion and sacrifice to us. We have much to celebrate and much to be thankful for. It came upon a midnight clear. Take Janet, get her a piano player. She'd be a blessing, wouldn't she? Amen. <laughs> I tell you, I cannot put into words how much I love the term Myers. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Malachi chapter 3 tonight. The book of Malachi chapter 3. And I want us to look at three verses of Scripture. Verse 13, verse 14, verse 15. And I want us to think tonight or ask this question. What are you saying about God? What have you been saying about the Lord? I want us to stand as we honor the reading of His Word. Malachi 3, verse 13, verse 14, and 15. These verses we looked at when we went through the book of Malachi back in, is in 96, in the middle of 96, we went through the book of Malachi. It is a tremendous book and every verse in here has just something that just really 
uh, it jumps out and just get a hold of your heart. But I want you to notice verse 13, verse 14, and 15. Now this is what the Lord said to the children of Israel. He said, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that work wickedness are set up, yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Now verse 13, verse, the first part of verse 13, your words have been stout against me. Thank you, you may be seated. Let's ask the question tonight. What have we been saying about God? And I want us to look at the verses here and consider what they had been saying about God and trust the Lord will speak to our hearts in this midweek service. Once again, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Christmas and for what it means and for what it represents. May we not forget the Christ of Christmas. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, that during this Christmas season that you draw us closer to you, help us to appreciate more your coming to this earth. Now speak to our hearts now through your word. Speak to us about the needs of our life. Get our attention now about areas that you want to work on. And Lord, about things that we need to do for you. So bless now our study tonight. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think of a story I read one time. I'm sure you've heard it before. But it was about this woman that was always complaining. She complained about this, she complained about that, and one day she came by to see the preacher, and she sat down in front of him across, from his de across the desk from him, and she said, Preacher, I wanted to talk to you about something that is bothering me. There is something about you that offends me. And the pastor looked at her and said, Ma'am, I, intentionally I haven't meant to offend anybody. What is it that I am doing that offends you? And she said, it's the way you wear your tie. And he looked at her and said, what is it about the way that I wear my tie that offends you? And she said, you wear it too long. It's supposed to come right at your belt buckle. You wear it way down below your belt buckle. It offends me the way you wear your tie. Well, he simply opened the desk drawer and took out a pair of scissors and handed it to her and says, ma'am, here's my tie. You cut it off where you think it ought to be cut off. I don't want to offend you. Go ahead and cut it off. And so she reached over and cut off about three inches of his tie. He said, while we're talking about offending people, he said, there's something about you that offends me. And she said, preacher, what is it about me that offends you? He said, it's your tongue. Stick it out, please. Amen. <laughs> well, when you read these verses in the book of Malachi chapter 3, well, the whole book itself, you'll find that there were many things that offended God. One of the things that offended God had to do with their words. In fact, what they were saying was very offensive to the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 17, you read, You have wearied the Lord with your words. And then, of course, in verse 13, Your words have been stout against me. How they were using their tongues, what they were saying was very offensive to God. You underscore the word stout in verse 13 of our text. It is a word that speaks of that which is hard, something that is terrible, something that is mean. 
And what Isaiah or what Malachi is saying is, or God is saying to the people in Malachi's day, is that you have been saying some very mean things about me. You have been saying some terrible things about me. Your words have been stout against me. It's been very hard, the things that you're saying. You notice the verb spoken there in verse 13. It suggests that the words were not so much spoken to God, but spoken about God. In fact, the word is descriptive of a group of people sitting around talking about someone else. We would call it a gossip session or talking about behind someone's back. And what they were doing, you can imagine in your mind now, four or five people sitting around and the topic of their conversation is God. And God said, you've been saying some very harsh things about me. Your little gossip groups, your little gossip sessions, you've been saying some very stout things about me. God knew everything that had been said. He knew every word that had been said about him. Makes me think of a story I read one time about Thomas Edison. He was being introduced at a banquet or at a dinner there, and the Toastmaster spoke much about all of his inventions and in particular dwelt upon his invention of the talking machine. Well, Thomas Edison got up and he smiled and very kindly said, he said, I want to thank the gentleman for his kind words, but I must insist on a correction. He said, I did not create the talking machine. He said, God invented the talking machine. I simply produced a model that could be shut off. Well, I won't say that in Malachi chapter 3, God is about to shut up and God is about to shut off these little gossip groups and what they had been saying about God. Now, what is it tonight they had been saying about God? And I want us, as we answer that question, to ask ourselves, have we been saying the same things about God? Not so much that we say, Lord, this is how I feel about you, but maybe in our mind, in our heart, we have thought these things and said these things about God in our heart. Let me point out three things in verse 14 that they were saying about God. You'll notice in the first part of verse 14, they were saying that God's work was unfulfilling. They were saying that God's work was an unfulfilling matter, that it was not a matter that satisfied or fulfilled. For you find in verse 14, ye have said it is vain to serve God. Now God said to them, now this is what you're saying about me. He said, you've said some very terrible things about me. They responded like they always do in Malachi by saying, what do you mean we've said some stout things against you? What have we spoken against you? What have we been saying about you? And the first thing God said is, you've been saying that it's vain to serve me. Now, you notice the word vain there in that statement. It is a word that speaks of that which is foolish, that which is insignificant, that which is fruitless, or that which has no profit or benefit. They were saying that when it comes to the matter of serving God, there's no benefit in serving God. It is a fruitless and a futile matter to serve God. It is an unfulfilling thing. Now let me say two things about this claim they were making. They were saying that the work of God was unfulfilling. Well, let me say first of all that this was a false claim. For when they made this statement here that it is vain to serve God, they are suggesting that they had been serving God. The idea was, I can imagine someone, this little group sitting around, someone says, well, when I think about God and this matter of serving Him, uh, to me it is a very unprofitable matter. And what that individual, this group was saying was and indicating was that I have been serving God, that I have been in the work of God, but I have found that there is nothing beneficial about serving God. When the truth of the matter was, 
they had not been serving God. So when they make this claim that it is vain to serve God, it is a false claim because nothing could have been further from the truth because the one making the claim had no idea what they were talking about. They had not been involved in the work of God to start with. They had not been serving God, but yet they're making the claim that it is an unfulfilling matter to serve God. They were doing nothing for the Lord, a false claim. But the truth of the matter is many believers would fall into this category. For the majority of believers in any church you go into are not serving God. Many believers are sitting on the pews, but yet they're not involved in the work of God. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in a message about the Dead Sea. And I was reading one time about the Dead Sea, formerly called the Salt Sea, due to the large content of salt that is in the seawater there. And normal seawater weighs about 10 and a quarter pounds per gallon and contains about a half pound of salt. But the Dead Sea, or the Salt Sea, is 12 and a quarter pounds per gallon. There's three and a third pounds of salt in the water. Therefore, nothing is able to live in the Dead Sea. Now, the reason it is the Dead Sea and the reason it has such a high level of salt is because it has six major inlets, but it has no outlets. It is always taking in, but it is not putting anything out. And many believers are taking in and constantly putting in their life, but they're putting nothing out of their life in the way of service. And may I say tonight that when it comes to this matter of serving God, God deserves to be served. Can I get an amen there? Second of all, God desires to be served. Can I get another amen? But thirdly, God demands to be served. And He commands us in the Word of God that every believer, every born-again child of God is to serve the Lord. I think about a pastor that was walking down the hall one day to pass the church bulletin. And he noticed there was a simple message on the bulletin board that said Job 7.11. Job 7.11. And he thought, well, somebody's put that up there as a word of encouragement. He didn't know right off the top of his head what Job 7.11 said. But he thought maybe it's just somebody's put it up there as a word of encouragement. So when he went back to his study, he opened his Bible, and he read Job 7 and verse 11. And, simple, and then, of course, it says, Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And that pastor thought, boy, somebody is really hurting. Somebody is going through a difficult time in their life, and they're reaching out for help. So he went to the person that uh, took care of the board, and he asked if they knew anything about it. He said, oh, preacher, he said, all that is, there's a job opening down to 7-Eleven. Well, I want to say tonight that there is a job opening in the work of God. Amen. They were saying it is vain to serve God, a false claim. They were not serving God to start with. Therefore, they knew nothing about whether it was vain or profitable to serve God. It was a false claim. But second of all, it was a foolish claim. How foolish to say that serving God is unfulfilling. How foolish it is to say that serving God has no benefit. How foolish it is to say that serving God is not profitable. Only those who have never served God would dare make that kind of statement. For anybody that has served God and anybody that has worked for God, they know that serving God is not in vain. I met a lot of people that regretted not serving God. But I have yet to meet my first person that regretted serving God. No, serving God is not in vain. It is foolish to make that kind of statement. It's foolish 
foolish to make that kind of evaluation of the work of God. Serving God and living for God is not in vain. I think of a story I read one time about three women that were traveling on a train. One of them was a preacher's wife. One was a well-dressed lady, very obvious that she was a well-to-do lady. And another was a young girl in a gaudy dress and a very foul mouth. They were traveling from Kansas City to Chicago. Well, all three of them talked all along the trip there. And the young girl talked about how she was going to Chicago to meet a boyfriend, how they were going to spend the weekend together, and how they were going to party for the whole weekend. And the preacher's wife talked about how happy she was to be a Christian and how happy she was to be in the work of God. At one point in the trip, in the conversation, the young girl looked at that wealthy lady and she said, I would be the happiest person in the world if I had your jewelry and if I had your mink coat and if I had all of your money. If I had all that you have, I'd be the happiest person in the world. And the wealthy lady surprised her by responding and saying, My dear, you say you would be happy if you had my rings and my mink and my money. She said, dear young lady, I have these and I have much, much more. But instead of being happy, I, I am perhaps the most unhappiest person in all of the world. She said, but from our conversation today, I have found where my trouble lies. And she looked over at the preacher's wife and she said, this lady has found the secret to a happy life. And I will say to you tonight that the happiest people in the world are those that are serving God. It is not in vain to serve God. They were saying that the work of God is unfulfilling. How false, how foolish the claim was. But look at the second thing they were saying about God. I imagine one of them, this little group says, well, the work of God is in vain. God's work is unfulfilling. But I hear another one say, that the will of God or God's will is unrewarding. If you notice the second thing they state, stated in verse 14, they not only said it is vain to serve God, but also and they said, what profit is it that we have kept His ordinance? They were saying, what profit is it that we have done what God's told us to do? The ordinance they referred to there was the command of God the command of God that said, this is my will for you. This is the way I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. This is my commands for your life. Obey my commands. And they were saying there that we have done, in essence, they're making the claim in verse 14, that we have done what God told us to do. We have kept the will of God, but it has not been profitable to do so. What it was, was a claim that God's will was unrewarding. Now let me point out two things about the statement. And the first thing that I see in that statement is a wrong attitude about God's will. A wrong attitude about God's will. For example, look at the word prophet there. They said, what prophet is it that we have kept his ordinance? The word prophet there was a technical term that was used for a weaver cutting a piece of cloth free from its loom. They would run the yarn or whatever it is through the loom and they would get a certain amount and then they would cut it off. That was the word, that was the word that's used that's translated prophet here. But it was sometimes used in a negative sense such as Malachi uses it here and it was used with a negative connotation of men expecting their cut or their percentage. Like someone said, I did not get my cut or I did not get my percentage. In other words, what they were saying is that we've not got our cut out of this deal. That we've done what God told us to do. 
We have kept his ordinance, which in actuality they had not, but they were making that claim. And they said, we have done the will of God, but we didn't get anything out of it. We didn't get our cut out of the deal. We did not get what we should have got for doing the will of God. What you have in that is a wrong attitude about the will of God because what they were saying is, and revealing in that statement is, that they had been doing what they had been doing, which was not much. But what little they had been doing, they had been doing it with an ulterior motive. They were saying, this is why we serve God. We're really serving God or doing what we do because we expect to get something out of it. We are serving God, we're working for God, doing the will of God, obeying God in order to get something from God. Again, it was a statement that revealed an attitude that was wrong, an attitude that said we are getting something out, we want to get something out of it. If we do anything, we should be paid for getting it done. There was an ulterior motive behind it. But yet I'm mindful tonight that we often do the same thing. That we often... We often have an ulterior motive in what we do and that which we do in the name of God. You take our giving. There's probably more hypocritical giving on Sunday morning than any other time. And what we do in our giving is we give, sometimes the motive is because we give so we can have a tax write-off at the end of the year. And I wonder sometimes how many people, what some people, if they would give, if they could not get a tax benefit or a tax write-off at the end of the year for. I want to tell you something, you give whether Uncle Sam gives you any credit for it or not. But a lot of times we give, and a lot of times we give with the attitude that if I'll give, that I'm going to be blessed for my giving, that God is going to prosper me for my giving. Sometimes even our involvement, we get involved in this and we do this and we do that because we think, well, if I do this, then God's really going to be good to me. And God's going to do all these things in my life. And sometimes we attend church. And we attend church like it's some kind of spiritual rabbit's foot to keep trouble away in our life. And sometimes we work so that somebody can brag on us. You see, a lot of times what we do, there is an ulterior motive behind it. And we often treat God like He's the great vendor in the sky and we drop in our coins of giving and our coins of attendance and our coins of work for the purpose of getting something in return. That's exactly what Satan accused Job of in Job 1.9. Where Satan made the statement to God, Doth Job serve God for naught? And what Satan was saying to God was, God, do you think he's serving you for no reason at all? Do you think he's serving you for you think he's not serving you because of what he's getting out of it. Look what you've done for him, God. You've given him lands. You've made him the wealthiest man in the country. Do you not think that's the reason Job is serving you? And again, a lot of times we serve God with an ulterior motive. That's what they were doing. They were not getting their cut. And they said for that reason there's no profit in serving God. But I want to say to you tonight, we... Whenever you serve God, you, you'll always be blessed for serving God. It's not in vain to serve God. That's what I just got through saying. And the last point, God will reward you for serving Him, but you do not serve God for the blessings. And you do not uh, obey God for what you get out of it. We serve God for what He gets out of it. And we obey God not for our benefit. We obey God for His benefit, for His glory. We serve God because we ought to serve God. Nothing more, nothing less. We serve God because we love Him. We serve God because he, we want to glorify Him. 
He will bless us, yes, but our motive is not for what we get out of it. Because if you serve God with an ulterior motive, I'm going to get blessed, I'm going to be recognized, somebody's going to speak well to me, then you'll never reap the benefits of doing the will of God. You serve God and you do the will of God because you are supposed to do the will of God. Can I get an amen? There was a wrong attitude about the will of God. But something else let's see in this statement, there was a wrong assessment of God's will. There's a wrong attitude that said we not getting our cut out of it, therefore, because we're not getting anything out of it, then it's vain or without profit. But also, there was a wrong assessment of God's will. They were saying, in effect, there's no benefit in doing the will of God. There's no benefit in keeping the ordinance of God. They're saying that it does not pay to obey God. And I say to you, that is a ridiculous statement. And again, it's made by somebody that had no idea what they were talking about. They were saying it's vain to serve God when they didn't even know knowing what they were talking about because they had not been serving God. And here they are talking about the will of God when they are not even in the will of God. And they were saying there is no profit. It was a wrong assessment of the will of God. You, want, you talk about whether or not the will of God is profitable. Ask somebody that is in the will of God. You don't know if the work of God is in vain. Ask somebody that's working for God. If you want to know if the will of God is without profit, then ask somebody that has given their life to God and walked with God through the years and stayed in the will of God. Ask them. And you won't find one that will tell you that there is no profit in doing the will of God. George W. Truett said to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. I, now I'm not saying tonight that doing the will of God will pay off financially. I'm not going to say that you're going to end up with a yellow Cadillac. I'm not saying that it will pay off materially. I'm not saying that it will pay off socially. But I am saying that it will pay off spiritually and it will pay off eternally. Somewhere, if you do the will of God, it will bring benefits in your life. I think about a story I read one time. I've never forgot. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a true story. And I'm sure many of you tonight are familiar with the, with the hotel in New York City called the Waldorf Astoria. It's a big, fancy thing. It's, it's not your Hampton Inn on the side of the interstate or whatever there. It's exclusive. It's, 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 uh, it's not, we'll leave the light on for you type. It's not that kind of thing. In fact, when I pastored in North Wilkesboro, uh, our piano player, her husband, was the body man for Junior Johnson. And that particular year, they had won the NASCAR championship, and they were all invited to the Waldorf Astoria, as they do every year. And uh, Frank then was telling about when they went up there, and they brought back and was showing me a menu where they went to all the awards ceremony. Order of French fries was $29. Can you imagine? Order of French fries for $29? Just, just let me drive through Burger King for $0.59. Cent. But it's, it's, it's a classy place. You know what I'm talking about. Well, years ago, it started a story, it was in Philadelphia. Late one night, there was this elderly couple walked into this small, third-rate hotel in Philadelphia. They asked for a room. And there was a young clerk at the counter there. He said, I'm sorry, we're filled up. He said, as far as I know, everything in, in town is filled up. There's a big convention going on. 
And uh, they said, we've checked with hotel after hotel after hotel, and we can't find a room anywhere. And he said, I am sorry, we don't have anything here. And he said, I cannot help you. And so the elderly couple turned around and started to walk off, and the young man just felt sorry for them. He could tell they were absolutely wore out. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, there's no use looking anywhere else because there is nothing available in town. But he said, I have a little room here. And he said, I'm on third shift tonight. I'll be working all night. It's not much. It's a, it's, it's a small room, but the sheets are clean on the bed. And he said, you're welcome to spend the night. At least you can get you a place where you can sleep and whatever. And the elderly couple protested. They didn't want to inconvenience him. He said, no, it's no problem. He said, I'm working all night. You're welcome to use my room. And they did. The next morning as the elderly couple was leaving, the man walked up to the young clerk and thanked him for his generosity thanked him for the room, and then he looked at the young man and he said, young man, he said, uh, you're too fine of a clerk, too fine of a clerk to be working in this kind of a motel. He said, I'm going to build a motel for you one day and I'm going to let you run it. And the young man thanked him for his words and whatever, but he thought to himself, sure, he's going to build me a motel. A couple of years went by and the young clerk forgot all about the elderly couple, and forgot all about their conversation that night. And one day he received a letter from the couple. And there was an invitation in that letter to come to New York City. Included was a train ticket. Directions where to meet him. They would meet him in such and such a time. He went to New York City. The elderly couple met him at the train station. They took him to the corner of 5th Avenue and 34th Street pointed to a newly constructed, magnificent building that looked more like a castle than a building. And the elderly man looked at the young clerk and said, This is the hotel, I promise you. It is yours to manage as long as you want. The elderly man's name was William Waldorf Astor. And the young clerk was George C. Bolt. And the hotel was the original Waldorf Astoria. I read that story, and when I read that story, I thought... You know, sometimes we feel like that if we serve God and we do the will of God, that we don't get any benefits from it. But somewhere, somewhere, they that serve God, God will reward them. It is not in vain to serve God. And it is not without profit to do the will of God. They were saying the work of God is unfulfilling. The will of God is unrewarding. But look in verse 14, the latter part, the third and the final thing they were saying. That is, they were saying the word of God was unreliable. For the latter part of verse 14, they said, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. See that statement, we have walked mournfully. They're making another claim, and the claim is that God had not kept his word to them. In that statement there, they're making a claim that they had followed certain instructions of God and they had done certain things for which God had promised that he would do certain things if they would do certain things. And now they're making the claim, Lord, we have worked for you, but it's been in vain. We have kept your ordinance, but it's been without profit. And God, we have fulfilled your promises, but you not, you have not kept your promises. Now look at the statement, and you see two things, and I close. You see, first of all, the hypocritical actions of what they were doing and saying. You see the word mournfully? It's a word that literally means black. And it was used in a variety of ways. Sometimes it was used in reference to skin. 
Sometimes it was used to speak of the tents of the nomads, the dark tents, the black tents of the nomads. But sometimes it was used of the apparel of people that were in sorrow or people that were in mourning. Now Malachi uses it in that context. And what he's talking about when they made this statement, we have walked mournfully, is going back to a condition that God had said that if someone would humble themselves in sackcloth and ashes, humble themselves before God, then God would in return do this. Like 2 Chronicles 7, 14, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, then will I hear from heaven as a promise. The condition was, you meet this condition that I will do this. It was a promise God had made. What they're saying is, Lord, we did that. We took you at your word. We humbled ourselves in sackcloth and ashes. We put on our apparel of sorrow and we mourned and we wept and we cried and we did what you told us to do, but you didn't do what you said you would do. They were claiming that God's word was unreliable. But here's what they were doing is they were putting on an outward show, but inwardly they were corrupt. The bottom line was God said, if you do this, then I'll do this. You humble yourself, then I will bless. They went through the motions of humbling themselves. They went through the ritual expressions of humbling themselves. But on the inside, they were still dirty. And on the inside, they were still corrupt. The bottom line is, the problem wasn't with God. The problem was with them. They were, they were not in a place that God could bless them. There were hypocritical actions they put on a show. But look at the hateful accusations. Look in verse 15 how they enlarged this and carried it even further. And they said, now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. In verse 15, they even went as far to say, Lord, we did what you told us to do, but you didn't do what you, say you said you would do. And they even went as far to say in verse 15 that, Lord, instead of blessing the people you said you would bless, you have blessed the sinful. You have rewarded the sins of others. You see the word proud? It speaks of those that are stiff-necked and rebellious against God. They were saying, Lord, we, told, we did what you told us to do. You promised you would do this. But instead of blessing us, Lord, you are the ones that are really happy are the ones that are rebellious against you really talking about themselves, they didn't realize it. They even went as far to say the wicked had been set up by God. That God had put them up here and it honored them and God had blessed them. And they even said that God, that they that had tempted God to judgment had even been excused by God and spared from judgment. So they're making this claim, Lord, we did what you told us to do. You didn't keep your word. In fact, instead of blessing us like you said you would bless, you blessed the wicked. They're the happy ones. They're the ones you've honored. You've let them off scot-free. But I say it was an accusation. It was an accusation that God blessed the ungodly, but he burdened the godly. I can say once again how foolish their statement. I want you to know something tonight. Right here, this book I hold in my hand is the word of God. You're looking at one preacher that does not doubt one word in this book. There's not one thing in this book that should not be in this book. There's not one thing left out of this book that should be in this book. It's the Word of God. It is our, it's God's Word given to us. And one thing you can believe about it, it is true. You can rely on the Word of God. God will keep His promises. But here's something you've got to remember. 
a faithful life, then go ahead. But when God doesn't answer your prayer, you cannot blame God for it. When there are things in your life that is wrong, you may only outward put on a show, but inwardly you may be corrupt. And when God doesn't come for you and bail you out, when you think he ought to bail you out and meet your needs the way you think he ought to meet your needs, yes, he promised to be with us. Yes, he promised to meet our needs, but he will not do it for our lives if our lives are corrupt on the inside. A faithful life will experience a faithful Lord. They that trust him wholly will find him wholly true. It is not in vain to serve God. Some of you need to learn that. It is not unrewarding to do the will of God. Some of you need to learn that. And God's word is dependable. He will do what he said he will do. If we will do what he we said we, he wanted us to do. Amen? Let's stand our feet, please. And as you do so, take your prayer sheet. We're going to come in just a moment and pray for our special request. And as well, we are going to... Pray and ask the Lord to work the things from His Word into our heart. Our missionaries of the week are Bill and Cindy Murdoch. They're home. Of course, uh, Alex, their son-in-law, Lisa, their daughter. Alex's father passed away, and they were moving, taking him back to Mexico. But we want to remember Bill and Cindy, and I appreciate them. Sherry and I had the opportunity of taking them to lunch yesterday and fellowshipping with them for just a little while. And uh, What a precious couple they are. What wonderful servants of God they are. What a privilege we are to have them. And we want to remember them tonight. Our church of the week is Fellowship Baptist Church in LaGrange, Kentucky. Uh, this is a young man I met. He's a pastor there. Uh, meeting I was in Kentucky somewhere. He came to the meeting one night and has corresponded with me on and off through the years and the different things. I got an email from him the other day. His wife just had a baby, but there's been some real complications there. And we want to remember Brother Tom Fellows tonight, Fellowship Baptist Church. Also, our hospitalist, Virginia Mitchell. Virginia Mitchell had to have, tri have a triple bypass today. And uh, she went in this afternoon. I was by there before service. She had not come out of surgery yet, but as far as I knew, everything was going well. But you want to remember Virginia and be praying for her. Joyce Green, this is Steve Green's mother. Uh, she's been having some problems and they had to move her in intensive care today. So I want to remember Joyce and be praying for her. She had knee surgery. And, uh, but she's had a rough time afterwards. Let's remember Joyce. Talking about Virginia, many of you know that Miss Brookshire, Essie Brookshire, she passed away. And this is Virginia's grandmother. This is Bobby Day's mother. And she went home to be with the Lord. Would have, she's 96, would have been 97, I think, in February. But uh, her funeral is tomorrow at 11 o'clock at Wilson's Funeral Home. So I want to remember them. And then some special requests given to me tonight. Joanne Wyndham, one of our newer members, she is at Parkridge Hospital. They had to take her in this afternoon. Joanne is the one who has to wear the breathing thing because of, of the uh, emphysema she has. And she is at Parkridge. We need to remember Joanne. Also, Raymond Wallace's brother. Some of you may have saw in the news about an explosion. Uh, today, his brother was in that explosion. David Wallace, he's at Erlanger Hospital. And we want to remember him. And then Blanche Miller, I believe that's her name, the lady that came down Sunday morning. She is at East Ridge Hospital. So let's remember these and pray for them. All of you that will, let's come. Let's pray for our missionary of the week. Let's pray for our church of the week. Let's pray for these special requests. And then let's ask God to work the word of God into our hearts tonight about the work of God, the will of God, the word of God. 
Let's learn by experience that it pays to serve Jesus. Let's learn by experience that it's well worth it to serve God. Let's ask the Lord to work in our hearts. Many of you are involved. We need many, many more. Many, many more. Would you join with me in prayer, asking God to touch the hearts of our members about going to work for the Lord and serving God and working for God? Will you help me in those things? Father, tonight in Jesus' name as we come to you. We pray for our missionary of the week. We pray for Bill and Cindy. Thank you for them. Thank you for the years of service they have given to the Lord in Costa Rica. We ask you, Lord, you continue to bless their work, bless their ministry. Lead them now in the new steps they'll be taking. I pray for Alex, his family, the loss of his father. But do bless the work of God in Costa Rica. We do pray, Lord, tonight for our Church of the Week. We pray for Fellowship Baptist Church. We pray for the fellas that you touch him. We pray for his little baby. We ask you, Lord, to work there. And you know the needs there, the physical needs. We pray, Lord, that you touch that little baby for your honor and glory. Bless Brother Tom. I thank you, Lord, for the desire that he has to do something for you. It's been a struggle where he's at. But I pray you touch him, Lord, and bless his ministry there. And do wonderful things for them. Lord, bless him. Give him the encouragement. Encourage his heart to go on and to be faithful and stay with it. Bless the people there. Put it in their heart a vision for the work of God. Unite their hearts together to do things for you. Bless in that area for Jesus' sake. For our sick folk tonight, these special needs have been mentioned. I pray, Lord, that you'd work there. Father, we ask you now to help us tonight. Lord, may we not be guilty of thinking the same things they were thinking in Malachi's day. Lord, help us never to think that it's in vain to serve you. Help us, Lord, never to think that there's no profit in doing your will. Help us never to think that you wouldn't keep your promises. Father, help us to realize tonight that the joy, the happiness, the real happiness and joy of life is in serving you and obeying you. So tonight, help us, Lord, to get into your work. Help us stay in your will. Help us to obey your word. Work in us, Lord, these wonderful things. And for this church, Lord, as we close out this year, we rejoice, but we come with anticipation for the coming year. Thank you, Lord, even in advance for what you'll do. Now give us labors for the harvest. Lord, we need the workers. And God, you know the needs and the things we want to do for you. God, provide people with a burden to serve you, to help us do these many things. Lord, may we not have to wait to do them because we don't have anybody to do them. Give us people that want to get involved and people that want to work and people that want to serve you. Provide all that we have, Lord. Give us more praying partners, Lord. Give us more people that will commit an hour, they're weak, just to seek God on the behalf of others. Lord, give us others to feel these new ministries that we're doing so that we can reach others and be a blessing to people when they come on Sunday morning and when they attend our church that we, people will see us in a people that care and a people that ministers to others. And for other things, bless us, Lord. Help us to go to new levels. May we not be satisfied with things, business as usual. But help us to see what can be done. Give us a vision of what you want us to do. And may we follow you and may we step out by faith and obey you and glorify you. Thank you again now for bringing us together such as you have tonight. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Praise the Lord as you go back to your seat. Let's all stand. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. Uh, for our deacons, be, we'll be delivering our baskets on Saturday morning. And uh, deacons, uh, we'll meet between 9 and 9.30 to, to deliver all of our baskets, our food baskets, our sunshine baskets that we carry out each year. Don't forget now Sunday night, the choir will be doing a special and have a lot of good things planned. I'm looking forward to this. And Sunday night after the service, we'll be having our Christmas fellowship. So I want you to cook up a lot of good things and all those wonderful things like that and get those ready. And then uh, those that I contacted about faith, I'll meet you back in the Watts class immediately after the service. You're dismissed. Be sure to shake hands and fellowship one with another and let our visitors know how glad we are to have them tonight.